Hi, this is Zach. And this is Patrick. And welcome to Pipecast. Where we pipe up for pipes and pipe down for what? How's your week? Man, it's been good. Glad it's Friday. It's always a good feeling. Like I said, that there's nothing quite like uh, the first second of your exit out the work door or uh, walking out of a final or just... Uh, that first uh, kind of warm feeling of spring when the months change. You know, today felt uh, springy. You know, it did. A it had a bit. smell to it, a springy smell. Excuse me, while I light the pipe. What are you smoking today? Some Boswell peaches and cream. My first aromatic. How about you? Oh, I'm in a corn cob too. I'm uh, smoking a Reiner Gold, which is a Virginia Perique blend in a uh, apple quarter bent Luciana pipe. And it's sandblasted. It kind of looks rusticated because the sandblasting is so deep in certain parts, but it's a pretty nice little rustic pipe. I like it. I was in a state pipe. I got a pretty good deal on it. I think it was 40 bucks. People kind of miss out on like nice little estates if you can acquire them there. Sometimes pipes still have quite a lot of life in them. They've just been kind of abused. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, I mean, I initially thought that I was going to get an estate pipe for my first pipe. I don't know. Maybe I just saw the Petersons and I was like, oh, yeah. I'll get a $100 uh, Petersons, less than $100. I mean, new or used, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, jumping in however you can, really. I guess what, you know, sometimes it's just whatever suits you. I mean, my first pipe was an estate pipe, and then I eventually did move on to a new pipe. But uh, estate, as far as my friend loaned me a pipe that I think was initially sort of a gift, but it was his grandfather's, and uh, I think that just kind of weighed on me, so I ended up purchasing another pipe and giving it back to him. You know, kind of explaining to him that I didn't think that it was right that he would, you know, hand over his grandfather's pipe. Yeah, but it was a Peterson's. It was a nice little uh, full bent. I think it kind of had like a Rhodesian look to it. Uh, and I don't remember it flaring out. It sort of flared in, but I remember it had uh, the sort of line markings and the kind of demarcation that sort of you know you see in Rhodesian pipes. And uh, mm. I really liked it. So it was a good pipe. It was a good pipe to start with. It was a good pipe to experiment with. It was a good pipe to just sort of not know anything with. You took it to Helen back too, didn't you? I mean, like, I think the first blend I ever smoked was Nightcap, which is probably a mistake. Yeah, I mean, you know, going from cigarettes at the time to just straight, like, full English blend. You know, so I don't even think I could appreciate it. I just remember thinking, like, this is really stout. I didn't know pipe tobacco was quite like this. It just, I was introduced at such a... You know, and I didn't know how to pack, so like I think I overpacked it. It burned it super hot. Um, <laughs> basically, made every mistake you can make in the book, and uh, you just sort of you don't. I mean, I think you you make a ton of mistakes up front, just tons and tons, and that's sort of the joy of it. Like, so you, you sort of have to keep at pipe smoking to a certain degree. I mean, I think that there's a curve, and it's a short one. I think within a week to two weeks, if you sort of pay attention to things and you smoke relatively regularly, then um, you pick up uh, pretty swiftly. But um, if you're not careful, you have a tendency to, uh, 
like really oversmoke something. Uh, you can actually make the tobacco taste a little ashy if it's extra hot or cigarette-like, which I didn't mind because I was a cigarette smoker, but it did smoke extremely hot. And, you know, I think we smoked in the summer, which, you know, I mean, it's already hot in the summer. So just some things that I just didn't know as a really, really, really amateurish pipe smoker that I should have known, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was 18 at the time, and... I really didn't start smoke, pipe smoking pipe smoking until I was 19. So it was sort of like this crash course where I really wasn't that invested, but I was trying. And you make plenty of mistakes. The point of that is to say that it was a Peterson. It had already kind of been smoked. It just shows the durability of a pipe like a Peterson pipe. I mean, it really is a workhorse in every sense of the word. Like, I didn't rotate it. I just smoked it. I smoked anything in it. And uh, the pipe seemed to adjust accordingly, you know. I'd kind of be curious because it, it had like a P-lip on it. Like I said, it was bent, a system pipe. I'd like to get a hold of that pipe again, re-smoke it, and see how about it smokes now. Compared to, you know, like pipes that I've smoked in kind of the in-between time, like Costello's and Dunhill's and Kabikia and Luciana. I've smoked quite a bit of pipes, so it'd be interesting to see how it smokes now. You own a Dunhill? Yes. Yeah, I think he showed it to me. What do you not have that you want, as far as brands go? Um, I think uh, I think I'm pretty much set. I'm sort of when I find what I love, then I stick with it. Yeah. Um, and to be, you know, like I would like another Dunhill. I don't love Dunhill. Dunhill is just a statement. A statement on pipe smoking maybe i don't know i mean like it's just the classic english i would like a dunhill umpal shape just like a nice chin hanging pipe um i don't need another dunhill as a matter of fact i don't really find dunhills very attractive i mean everyone talks about the classic english shapes i think the italians have beyond mastered every shape and then have contributed to pipe shapes in their own right i mean you know you take an apple which this is a kind of a squat apple, right? Yeah. And then you just extend the shank in and bend the thing, and then you got the hawk bill, which is my favorite shape of all time. And I'm pretty sure Costello created the hawk bill. And then Costello's 55 shape with the kind of chinny pot pipe, mm-hmm. which has that kind of jutting out, like, sort of jaw. I mean, I think that is probably one of my favorite shapes of all time. If anything, I wouldn't necessarily go for another brand of pipes. Because I've smoked, like jarn pipes and uh some danish and i've got like a uh smoked chocolate a shokum it's the french pipe and a boot shokin another french pipe and i think they use algerian briar and they're great they're great pipes i wouldn't give them away obviously but i prefer my italian pipes to like specifically my kavikia and my castello um if i were to tell people like hey this is a good pipe. I mean, like, I would be more than more out to to, to tell them to, to get a Boswell or to get a, you know, um, honestly, I think some of the best smoking pipes on the market are Missouri Meerschaum. But, I mean, if you had to get, like, kind of a high-end, higher-end, I wouldn't say high-end exclusively pipe, I would probably suggest getting a Costello. Hmm. I think it's the, I think they make the best pipes, period. And, and on a large scale, so they're always readily available you don't have to like contend with someone or spend thousands of dollars on a pipe yeah you can spend you know within the 250 to 
$700 range, which I'm sure to some people is extremely expensive, but you know, relatively speaking, it's actually, it's sort of in the middle. But I think you can spend about $350 to $500 and get a really good pipe that you can hand down. It sort of becomes its own piece in a way that's artistic, but at the same time, isn't going to bend you over and uh, and just take all your money. So mm-hmm. I'd like to try a Bones pipe, which are $39, and they're very plain. I think at Morgan Bones, they're really stripped down. And I do believe Italians make them, and he just distributes them. But they're sort of like seconds are defective, but it's still briar. And they're sort of a, they're apparently like kind of a workhorse pipe. Mm. And I would like to see if those smoke, because all, like, it depends on what you, if you're aesthetic, if you're into aesthetics or whatever, or the beauty of the pipe, then yeah, you're going to spend the money. If you're into smoking, then you, you know, a clay pipe, a corn cob, a Peterson's, or, or a Meerschaum, especially a Meerschaum pipe, because it's going to do things to the tobacco that are very interesting, and there's something to that so i mean like those are the things i recommend if you're really into tobacco if you're really into i want to look a certain way with a pipe then i mean you know in a way money is it really an option like it shouldn't be if that's what you're thinking if it's all about i want to look like this then get a get you know get a packet of velvet and go buy your really expensive pipe and it it doesn't matter because you're only going to be seen out with that pipe yeah you know i mean if you don't care about tobacco i mean to me it's all about tobacco. I mean, I love pipes. I love the way they are. Um, I think they're very beautiful. But personally, like it's about how the smoke is being delivered to me. I don't think you know that I, I think too too heavily into it. I, I see something it catches my eye. I like it. If it's within a price range that I'm willing to pay, then I'll get it. Yeah, I mean, I'm as a new person, and and I'm very much more the tobacco than I am the pipe. Even though I do. I'm a middle of the road kind of guy. I, uh, as far as getting the pipe, you know, I don't want to get the most expensive thing, but I actually, I am looking for some kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And um, I have some Petersons, uh, straight billiard or bent billiard, a Calabash style, uh, Dublin E bent. I got a little old nose warmer from Boswell, which I was gonna say the the only other shape. I love the Hawkbill too. I mean, I, I don't know what it is about it. It's it's just good looking, but the other shape. And, I, and from what I can tell, the only people I know that do it, or I don't know if they're the only people that do it, but they're the only ones that I see, and that's the Seven L uh, author. Mm-hmm. The, the I think it's a three twenty KS. I love that pipe, and my my nose warmer sort of makes me think of one a little bit. I don't I don't know really what you'd call it since it's Boswell. It's unique. I, I mean, I I'd like to have a Seven L author one day, you know. And, and you know, Seven L is sort of like the Italian Peterson in a way, based on the price. It's not going to break you. And they apparently make really, really good pipes, too. I've never actually smoked a 7 I also have never heard anything negative about 7 Yeah. Then the question you should ask yourself, you know, if you're a new pipe smoker is, is um, if you were given $5,000, would you rather have a specific type of pipe or as many as you want for five grand, or would you rather have a specific type of tobacco that is um, probably difficult to find five grand's worth? You know, because I think at five grand, you're probably going to, Depending on what you like, you're going to walk away with something like 10 pipes. Because I'm assuming five grand, people are going to go after the five, $600 pipe range. So what is that? That's about 10 pipes to 12. But I would rather have five grand worth of uh, Samuel Galwith and Esoterica blend tobacco. Again, I think I'd be pretty middle of the road. I'd probably get... Well, you have, you're only allowed to get one or the other. Oh. So you have to ask yourself that question. Like, which is it? You know? 
is it about the tobacco? Am I going to smoke good tobacco out of a corn cob or something that I already have? Or do I want to have stylish looking pipes? I mean, neither are a wrong answer in my opinion. And, you know, I, I mentioned Velvet or uh, Captain Black or Prince Albert. Those aren't bad tobaccos or anything. I mean, I don't particularly like them, but that doesn't necessarily, that's not negative on anybody who smokes them. No. They've been around for a long time for a very specific reason. Yep. So that's not that's not a knock on them. I personally like a you know I kind of I have a profile of flavor that I enjoy. Yes. And I pursue a specific type of tobacco. So in my opinion, you know, I'd rather have the tobacco as opposed to having the pipes. Granted, I would love nothing more than to have seven like fifty-five shape and different color pipes. Mm. Like have a full week rotation of Costellos. Yeah, I think I think yeah having the tobacco. Again, like you said, there's no right or wrong answer, but having the tobacco is probably where I would fall. But um, sort of switching gears a little bit, we were talking before the show about the you know aromatic and how there's not as much fullness to it as your English blends and your non-aromatics. And you're right, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like I'm smoking flavored air. I don't, I don't have any. No, I'm not getting anything out of it. I, mean, I I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's, it's pleasant, but. It's more like just a layback and just don't think. Whereas, uh, to be in English, there's some thought into it. You sort of figure it out, what's going on here and what's going on there. Well, the smoke, it doesn't billow in a way that like a Virginia Perique or a, a Burley Bass or an English blend kind of has. So, I mean, it is sort of a thinner smoke in a way. Yeah. Even, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe because in a way... You know, a traditional Cavendish is like, maybe not traditional, but a, a black Cavendish is sort of cooked, you know, and maybe that sort of takes out its, those kind of billowy plumes when it's been sort of wetted down with a, a syrupy concoction and, and, and steamed or cooked to sort of a black leaf, you know, and it has like a sticky, oily residue. And I think that cuts it down a little bit, but then like, it seems like you don't really get the full billowy plumes of smoke that you would get when you're smoking a vapor um, or a, especially a burly base. It seems like any type of burly base. I'm sure you could probably tell the difference between, say, the blend that you're smoking now, which I think is Peaches and Cream mm-hmm. by Boswell versus a burly blaze blend like Haunted Bookshop. I'm, I imagine that you're going to feel that smoke. It's going to kind of over... It overtakes your mouth and it sort of washes the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Um, that's not a negative on aromatics. Um, I like a, a more complex or sort of a blended with a with a like a kind of a maybe a strong topic. I I smoke grouse more a lot. I love grouse more. It sort of feels like there's more going on with it because the the toppings, although strong, seem to not take away from the tobacco, and it's got this beautiful like golden yellow color to it, and most of the aromatic blends i see it's it's black cavendish and it seems like the cavendish sort of like really stifles the fullness of the smoke so i don't know if maybe it has to do with that or that's just my kind of opinion yeah and you know time will tell how i how i feel about it you know like i said this is my first aromatic i've been smoking you know predominantly vapors and burleys and english blends so you know this is new it does seem like something i will fall back to when I just sort of just, you know, want to smoke something, I guess. And don't really have a preference of the day. Just, you know, 
maybe if I'm out and about, want to have more, a more pleasant room note to me. But no, I, I, this won't be a this won't be like a go to. I don't, I don't foresee. So our next segment is the pipe of the week. We um, are heavily using Instagram really to push out the content. Uh, it seems to be a really interesting section of the pipe community. You know, YouTube is is great, and I'm sure Twitter and Facebook are good too. But it just seems like Instagram is more of a it just seems more natural. You get to see pictures of the pipe, pictures of the tobacco, people using different ways of showing those things. And so, um, so we have a we have some followers already, and uh, gracious followers. They um, they seem to like what we've put out so far, and um, and we enjoy looking at what they post. Um, so this week, the pipe of the week is from the user Dust Off underscore the Rook. A volcano-style, half-rusticated pipe from Smith House Pipes. And it, it really is a, a good-looking pipe. So I suggest anyone to go find Dust Off underscore the Rook and check out that post. So congratulations on winning the first um, pipe of the week from Pipecast. Oh, right. How are you at right now in the bowl? Reiner's a, it's a interesting blend. Um, sweet. But it has like kind of a, a kickback of citrusy sourness from the Virginia. Um, not a lot of pepper from the Perique. And they married up really well. And it's, you know, when you buy a tin of Reiner Gold, it's just a gigantic ribbon. Oh, really? You know, just, yeah, and it just, you had to pull it out and, and kind of clip the ribbon. And what I do is I just take the whole thing out, fold it into a jar, and just let it, and I just tear from the middle. That seems to be working for me right now. You can actually see the ribbons in it if you look. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got them sort of folded over, but I sort of just kind of tear from the middle portion and just pull it out and rub it out myself and then just put it into my bowl. Hmm. So a few weeks ago, Patrick had mentioned um, through a couple of conversations, you know, we're fans of Louisiana Perique, and I strongly suggest anybody who has an opportunity to go online, look at the way in which the tobacco is uh, produced. It's very interesting. There's a couple of pages you can find. Um, maybe I can link to them later, but, um, they do a sort of compression inside of, uh, of old, I think oak barrels and, um, sort of a black, you know, nicotine sludgy tobacco juice sort of pours out of these, um, barrels. And it just looks like something, uh, really out of an HP Lovecraft novel or short story. I don't think he ever really wrote, uh, I think he wrote the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Just sort of a novella. He never wrote a novel, really. But the point that I'm trying to make is it's very Lovecraftian. If you're familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, he's a horror writer from the 20s. Um, gave us Cthulhu. Uh, very influential. Influenced Stephen King. Uh, if you watched any of the first season of True Detective, there's a lot of nods to his work in that television series. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make is, is that if you look at those barrels, like I said, it does look very Lovecraftian. And Patrick, um, I think, came up with a pretty good idea for a short story um, in which he would sort of blend the Lovecraft elements, some from Shadow of Rainsmouth and uh, some other stories. If you don't know anything about some of the Lovecraftian lore, um, there is an Order of Dagon, all right, and they're a cult. And a subset of that cult lives in Louisiana, which is close to St. James Parish in New Orleans. 
Uh, or not in it's not in New Orleans, but it's close to New Orleans. I think the cult is sort of outside of New Orleans. St. James Parish is also outside of New Orleans. It's a little backstory. So I'm trying to catch up with Patrick to see where he's at in his writing. And if you didn't know this, because this is sort of our sort of episode two, Patrick and I dabble in fiction just a little bit. And I'm kind of curious to see where he's at right now in the process of writing that story. Well, I have uh, I've done um, a first run through of the um, prologue and the first chapter. I need to go back and uh, I toy with this every time I start writing something. Do I edit? Do I write a whole chapter and edit that chapter, or do I just keep going? You know, I've heard different things from different people how they do it, and everybody has their own style. I don't really have a particular style. I've never, I don't think I've ever written the same thing. I've never written two things the same way. It's usually very just however I feel at the moment. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, a little more backstory for those who don't know some of the Lovecraft stuff in the. The story they introduced Cthulhu uh, is the Call of Cthulhu. There's a um, uh, investigator who uh, is retelling a story, sort of like a police raid that he uh, they performed, and uh, it was south of New Orleans in the swamp, and it was sort of like a satanic kind of voodoo thing. They they thought they were stumbling into some voodoo stuff, and that's where he found this grotesque mini statue thing of Cthulhu. So, the way I've presented the story is, uh, so far, uh, basically a, a man, his father has passed away, and his father, he hadn't spoken to his father for, you know, 30 years, but he's the only child left, so he's having to take care of the affairs, and he has this little house, this little old cabin off the banks of the Mississippi down, you know, in St. James Parish, or close to there. Uh, and his father worked on a parique farm his whole his whole life. And uh, so I sort of leave stuff out. You don't you don't get the full picture. Basically, the uh, the main character has found an old chest of his father's. He opens it up. He finds a pipe uh, and an old tin of tobacco. And uh, of course, I'm going very I'm exaggerating a good bit because I you know give a little backstory about how he says. The smell of that tobacco just takes him back to, you know, the days growing up in an area that is, you know, somewhat dependent upon the Perique farm, you know, the Perique. And maybe kids used to dare each other to smoke a bowl of pure Perique. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those kind of things. And This jar of tobacco that he has opened is just Perique. That's all that's in there. He's been having dreams, this, this main character. And so he sort of ties it up to where the dream started the moment he smoked that bowl and uh, he don't live in Louisiana anymore but he says when he's a when he is awake all he thinks of is Louisiana and when he's asleep all he can do is dream of a sunken stone city it's sort of making him go crazy so uh, that's sort of where I'm at thinking about making it uh, like an alternating chapters where one chapter is uh, from that person's perspective and another chapter is from a, the perspective of a uh, of a police detective who is stumbling upon the um, the Perique farmers and thinking that they're they may be finding some kind of voodoo stuff going on with the Perique farmers. So that's about where I'm at. Getting a little long, huh? I thought it was just a short story. I thought it was too. It's always funny when you're writing and then the thing that you initially thought that it was going to be turns into something completely different and starts lengthening and then yep. the time that you expected to be invested in it 
almost triples in like an hour's time. Yeah. So um, that's pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to reading it, and um, maybe we can provide a link to some people if they're curious about reading some of your short fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, same with with yours. You know, we, I mean, together we probably have a good number of stories out mm-hmm. there. You know, um, I probably have a lot of unfinished, but you know, there, you know, there's a few that I'm particularly happy with. I don't think I'm not trying to sound pompous, but I find it rare when you ever when you're ever really really happy with your work when it's done with there's always things you can do to make it better you have to just have to let it sit and come back to it and a lot of times you know i'm sort of afraid to go back to to it i'm like i don't want to get invested um but you know there are a few that i'm sort of like well, i'm happy with it for now i agree with that i mean i think anybody who writes if you're out there listening and you're a struggling writer or a writer maybe you're not struggling at all maybe you're successful hi stephen king uh, just so y'all know, Stephen King is a heavy pipe smoker and he listens to us every week. So maybe that'll encourage you to come back next time. But like, uh, yeah. if you're, a, I think if you're, if you're a writer, there's a love hate in everything that you complete because it's never truly complete because the thing that you're, you're, you're trying to excavate something that is perfect in your mind's eye and then sort of rip it from that unreality and place it on paper. And that is never easy because it never comes out exactly like you want to and i can't speak for people who work in pipes but i imagine that sometimes the pipe that you're creating isn't necessarily the thing that you wanted it to be in your head or you had established in your head i could be completely wrong maybe there's some people who are just like no this is exactly what i wanted good on you i i wish i had that talent but like i find that on your any endeavor isn't always going to pan out the exact way you would prefer it to pan out i agree i agree because um i mean even when you go back and watch or read the history of hp lovecraft uh in the you know the diaries and things that we have uh discovered he was really hard on himself he did not think that any of his stuff was good and i mean i think a lot of his stuff didn't really didn't get published till after he died a good bit of it did get published, but I mean, he died broke. He wasn't anywhere near how successful he would be if he was alive today. And the following he has was around during the time he was alive. Well, it's interesting you say he died broke. And um, I think he sort of came from money distantly. Yeah. Maybe like two generations removed from money. Yeah. His, his grandfather on his mother's side, like, invested in this dam. And it, and it, um, I think I think they went broke when he was a teenager. Like the dam, something happened. The dam never got built. His mother's father lost a lot of money in that. Well, the reason I know that that's a, the case is because I've been to Providence and I've been to the cemetery where he's buried. Mm-hmm. And I think that his headstone, which is very very minimal, when I say minimal, I mean just sort of a small marble block marker in the ground with his name on it. Um, it's on a family plot. And uh, that's it. I don't even think he had a headstone, according to the caretaker, for many years. It wasn't until someone actually like had one, sort of erected there or placed into the ground there. Um, but it's a it's a small kind of tucked away area. It it's not terribly far. It's kind of like right at the front. But like there's this little tucked away area, in that Providence Cemetery, and there's his headstone just sort of buried away. You would assume. 
that there would be something a little bit more intriguing than what he has considering this following. And when you get up on it, there are coins and tokens, there are book covers, there's signatures, there's pictures. A lot of people have left a lot of trinkets there over time, I guess because of his influence that's pretty far-reaching. But um, the caretaker says he consistently runs into people who are doing a um, sort of just a tour of the United States from other countries, and they they specifically come to his plot just to kind of pay a little respect to you know a writer that influenced them he said uh, the week before this was two years ago but the week before um we had arrived there was i think a couple from saint petersburg from russia and they had come specifically to see his tomb and he kind of took them or his tomb, his uh his grave site and then he took them over there to see it um just kind of one in a many lines it was interesting because he had uh busted my wife for taking photos she was taking photos because the trees there was in the fall in October and it was absolutely gorgeous and these super bright yellows and reds and she was kind of taking pictures and obviously that's taboo in a cemetery and he stopped us from doing that and I was like hey I was like I know that you just had to bust us for taking photos but uh is there any way you could show me where H.P. Lovecraft's headstones at and he's like oh and his tune changed like he seemed to love he's like go down this way this way and then he followed us over there in his little car and then got out and then did this whole thing about like hp lovecraft like told me about his life and like why he was buried there super genuine dude i really appreciated him talking to us too it was really nice and he got us right there because i think the cemetery was about an hour and a half to two hours from closing and it was large it was interesting, though, to see that. I recommend if, if you're in the Providence area, maybe go in and pay some respect to that. There's a, quite a interesting history to him and his characters. It's definitely worth a read if you have it. And if you live in Rhode Island, definitely check that out. So, to close that out, if you, don't, if you haven't read any of his stuff, if you haven't looked into H.P. Lovecraft, we highly suggest you looking into it you won't be um you won't be disappointed in at least knowing about him um and knowing about his work uh, and i'm sure even if you even if this is the first time you have heard of hp lovecraft it's not the first time you've seen or read his influence or hit the mythos that was created from him it's not the first time you've seen a reference to that if so, you need a good primer uh, read the color out of space, um, the Dunwich Horror or Shadow over Isabel. There's plenty more. But yes. Those three, I think, are a pretty good primer into the fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. I don't think you would uh, go wrong. One of his uh, contemporaries was um, uh, like off the top of my head, I can't think of his name, but is the man who wrote Conan the Barbarian and the low fantasy uh, mm-hmm. writings of the time. And uh, someone actually suggested I read Elephant Tower. But the guy who wrote Conan actually helped H.P. Lovecraft flesh out some of the Cthulhu mythos. Pretty interesting. I mean, like, so those who don't like science fiction or horror, cosmic horror, or weird fiction, um, but like Conan the Barbarian or fantasy, they are kind of intricately linked. There is some theories that say that the Conan the Barbarian universe are actually is actually linked to the Cthulhu universe or yeah. the H.P. Lovecraft universe. Yeah, that's what I uh, was led to believe that 
Conan the Barbarian was in the same same universe. When you talk about this universe that he created, it is a lot of works from a lot of other people um, that are involved in, in this mythos. I believe you know the King in Yellow was not a Lovecraft creation, but it is part of the mythos. I think it was a Blackwood creation. I could be wrong. You know, I, I don't remember. Algernon Blackwood, maybe? You're probably maybe. right. Maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Which, that is true detective. I mean, that's that's a lot of a lot of that's in there. But speaking of H.P. Lovecraft and sort of that stuff, and kind of like tie it back into a little bit of this, there is a pipe maker. Eldritch Pipes. I think you can find him on Etsy. I do believe he has a YouTube channel where he reviews tobacco. As a matter of fact, his recent, or not recent, I probably, recent to me, I'll say that, uh, video on L.J. Peretti's uh, number eight slice. Uh, is It's one, it's a it's a Virginia Perique blend that, and Burley that I want to try because of his review. But if you have an opportunity, please go look at Eldridge Pipes. This guy, he absolutely captures the Lovecraftian aesthetic. I mean, I can't even, I can't even explain to you how beautiful some of his pipe work is. It's, he, he just, he really gets the texture of, of sort of like octopi, fungus, like these sort of earthy, weird elements. I mean, like, all his pipes, I think, are very elemental. Like, in that earth sort of... I mean, he just understands it. Um, I I think, you know, he, he, he definitely is at the forefront of some of the most creative pipe work I've ever seen. They are H.P. Lovecraft theme. That's, I think, probably where he drew his Eldritch Pipes title from. Uh, very nice guy on YouTube. I don't know him personally, obviously, but, like, um, his videos are, are are really fascinating to watch him describe tobacco. He's done some esoterica reviews, some J.F. Germain reviews. Uh, you know, he he sort of has hit the nail on the head on a couple of different blends and, that I agree with him with, so I do respect his opinion. And, you know, if that weren't enough, just his reviews of tobacco, um, he creates some of the most beautiful pipes I think I've seen. Um I guess if you if definitely if you're a, uh, a fan of that sort of you know genre of fiction, um, I've read a lot of H.P. Lovecraft stories, so like I appreciate uh, some of that. I think you can maybe purchase some of the stuff off of Etsy. I could be wrong about that. I don't think it would be a problem to you know PM and then ask him where you can acquire some of his pipes if he's got them. But definitely check that out. I mean, he's up there with some of the the you know, masters of Meersham, except it's Briar, which to me is so much more difficult and so much more fascinating that he can do the type of work that he's doing with Briar. Um, you know, I mean, Meersham, when it comes out of the earth, is going to be a like softer, more, more pliable material. And, uh, you know, you pull Briar out of out of the ground it's not going to be that way and it has to go through its process and then you have to be a, a really dedicated and diligent craftsman to kind of get the the look and the feel you know i, I think i'd mentioned earlier in this podcast that um it's difficult to rip an idea from your mind and and like actually have it 
presented on, in our case in, on paper or presented in a way that was, you know, exactly what you had in mind. This guy seems to understand what he sees and can execute it uh, with would with an effortless effortlessness and obviously nothing like that is effortless uh but that's a testament to his craft so i mean i definitely think uh we should link to that because eldritch pipes is is probably some of the most uh majestic looking pipes on the internet so definitely check that out if you guys have an opportunity if you haven't already because i think some of his stuff really captures that and if you definitely get it you know, I recommend grabbing you an Eldritch Pipe, grab, grabbing a uh, one of the Cthulhu-themed uh, Cornell and Deal blends, and sitting down with an H.P. Lovecraft story, giving it a read. Or, if you're reading this years, or you're listening to this years in the future, give Patrick's story a read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, if you think you can come up with a better story, that's sort of the same thing, do it. It'd be awesome to read it. So, uh, how far along are you in the bow? That's pretty much it. That's all she wrote for me. Yeah, I think I'm good too. So, uh, for all those out there, thank you again for listening. And we'll we'll, uh, close this one out. This has been a Pipecast production. And we hope to see you at the next full bowl.